Barukata Adonai Eloheinu Melekaolam Asher Bakar Bin Vim Tovim Veratza Vedivrehim Ha Ne Emarim Beemet Baruk Ata Adonai Haboker Batora Uvmoshe Avdo Uv Israel Amo Uvin Vie Ha Emet Vazedek Biskut Mashiach Yeshua Amen. Well, Shalom, everybody. Welcome back to the Haftarah Get You Song with Shomer and Chasis. And um, I am so glad to be back on here with my Chavibi. And so without further ado, we just going to get right into it. It's Parashat Shemini, and it is uh, Shabbat Para coming up this week, the Shabbat of our purification, atonement, redemption, all that good stuff. And so I'm going to hand the mic over to my Habibi. All right. Shalom. It's definitely good to be back on. You know, like like you mentioned earlier, this is uh, Parsha Para, which is the third special reading of the four leading up to uh, Pesach. So it's exciting because this Shabbat we actually have actually falls on Rosh Chodesh Nassan. So, mm. you know, so. Perfect. Um, so right we have here with Parsha Para is from uh, Yechezkel 36.16 to 38. And we have just kind of an outline of our summary. You know, this is Hashem has punished B'nai Israel with exile because of their sins. 20 to 23, he's going to redeem them in order to sanctify his name. 24 to 27, he will purify them and remove the Yetzahara from their hearts. He will bless the produce of Eretz Israel, and 37, 38, he will cause the Jews to multiply abundantly. That's kind of the, the summary and a quick synopsis. And like we said, this is uh, Yechezkel, who, as we know, as we talked about before, was the one who prophesied in the exile um, outside of Eretz Israel. And so... You know, you had, he was also known as the, he's called the son of Buzi, but this really contates the fact that, you know, he was disparate, um, like humiliated and uh, by people and insulted by people because he descended from Rahav. Mm. You know, but he was actually the son of Yamahu. And it's kind of interesting because while the temple stood, uh, Yamahu was the prophet, and it seems like after the destruction of the Behamichtash, it, it kind of goes, and the exile follows, it kind of goes in the hands of his son, Yechezchel, who was a source of a great comfort for everybody during the exile. You know? A comforter during exile. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, much like, much like another prophet who well, also around the same time, Daniel. So he had a lot, of, a few things in common with him. One, you know, the Gemara mentions in Chulim 44b that Yechezkel maintained his strict adherence to Kashrut and never eating any unquestionable meat whatsoever. <laughs> so this is the same. This is the Babylonian exile. And then you have Daniel who also has that. And, you know, Bizarre Hashem will touch on that again. But Right. Refuse to eat the king's meat. <laughs> yes <laughs> we'll take vegetables for 300 <laughs> yeah. so yeah like i said we have um we have uh rosh chodesh nasan 
you know, this is the new year of, of kings. And so may we all appoint Hashem as our king. Uh, this, this Shabbat, renew Amen. that. But it also mentions that this is a very especially favorable time for both physical and spiritual purification. And so hence we have uh, this reading right before it or on the day, depending on where it is, where it falls. Right. Okay. All right. So it really starts off for the reasons of this exile. And it mentions in 1617, it says, Hashem's word came to me as follows, son of man. While the house of Israel dwelt in their land, they defiled it in the way and their misdeeds. Their way before me was like the impurity of an Adah. And, you know, it kind of mentioned the whole son of man. There's different interpretations of this. We've touched on this before, but I'll kind of reiterate this point that according to the Midrash, this actually denotes that he was beloved by Hashem since he was the son of a Sadiqim. But it's interesting that he relates us to Anada, which at first it seems like something that would be, you know, like, oh, well, that's insulting, you know? <laughs> yeah. But if you really think about the concept, uh, as all, all the types of, of Tuma, all the types of impurities that we come into contact with, there's impurity that we were atoned from, from the red heifer, which is like the impurities of, of death. Um, really, and you get atoned for that through the red heifer. You know, that's that you have to go through this this process that you'd have to have this specific requirements that's really hard to come by. But then you have the nada, which isn't necessarily something um, as uh, like it, it's something that's very easily rectified. You know, and so what he's implying here, what Hashem is applying to him is tell them, hey, they're they're exile their their time away from me is temporary and i'm waiting for them to go through a cleansing process so they could be restored to me just like a husband and wife is during the da mm -hmm. so in in this this rebuke there's a slight hint of hope which is seems very common for yechezkel you know during this time of exile he always puts in these glimmers of hope and uh, and the way he words it Well, does this uh, by chance tie to the fact that our righteousness is called is likened to filthy rags? Because like we're we're considered as if uh, a woman in Nida while we're in exile. Oh wow, yeah, that's a beautiful connection. You know, I I think there's there's something to that, and you know, this partially actually mentions a lot about us being redeemed, not necessarily because we deserve it, but for the sanctification of Hashem's name, mm. you know? And so there's, wow. there's that, that kind of process as, as well, you know? Okay. Baruch Hashem. That's a uh, Yeshiyahu 64, six for all of us here listening. Yeah. But it mentions there's these ways and deeds what are these ways and deeds that the, that the Jewish people are accused of here? It mentions that Hashem held us accountable for idol worship and murder. So the, the ensuing spiritual defilement forced Hashem to remove himself from them, similar to a husband who keeps distance from his wife while she's in the da. And it mentions this whole idea that, that sins bring tuma, it's impurity, into a Jewish a Jew's heart. 
the Torah, Torah warns us, do not become Tameh by transgressing the Torah laws. Every sin actually leaves this residue of spiritual decay on every Jewish neshama. And so the, the Torah emphasizes the point, particularly with regard for forbidden foods. And so hence we get into um, Daniel. So we have a little bit of story time here. Story time. Come on. The Babylonian emperor, Nebuchadnezzar, captured some of the finest Jewish young men in Jerusalem. He brought them to his palace, where he wished to train them to fill prestigious positions at court. He commanded the youths undergo a training period of three years, during which they would be served food and wine from the royal kitchen. One of the captives, Daniel, resolved immediately not to defile himself by partaking of non-kosher food and wine. His three friends, Hanana, Mishael, and Azariah, agreed to follow suit. Daniel decided that he would rather die than violate a Torah prohibition. Each day when he would recite the Shema, he had in mind to lay down his life for the mitzvah of Kashrut. He politely requested of the king's officers, please serve my friends and myself plain beans and vegetables and give us to, uh, to drink water instead of wine. The officer really liked Daniel. Nevertheless, his response was, if you persist in this foolish diet, you will soon appear to be sick. And if the king is forced to replace you with another captive, he will hold me responsible. I'm not prepared to risk my life to fill your request. Perhaps I can arrange for you to receive live animals and fish, which may be prepared according to your specification. Daniel had specifically avoided requesting this himself since he was afraid that it would draw the attention of higher officials to himself and they would flatly oppose it. Moreover, Daniel, who was scrupulously pious, pious, feared that mix-ups might occur and he would inadvertently be served non-kosher food. He also worried that he would be too busy to carefully supervise the slaughtering and cooking of the animals. Daniel therefore insisted, no, we wish to be served plain vegetables and water. And finally, Daniel resorted to bribery, offering the officer leftover rations. Daniel entreated him, please try it out just for 10 days. If it doesn't work, you're free to act just as you see fit. So the officer consented. And just so happens that these 10 days were the 10 days of Aseret Yameh Teshuvah. Wow. These 10 days of Teshuvah, the 10-day period between Rosh, Hosh, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. During this period, Jews are particularly stringent upon standards of kashrut of the foods they consume. After 10 days, Daniel and his friends appeared more ruddy than all the other young men. The officer therefore permitted them to continue um, subsisting on the meager fare of their choosing. So Hashem rewarded Daniel and his friends with wisdom and understanding. When the emperor consulted them, he found them 10 times wiser than all his magicians and wise men. Mida, Kaneg, and Mida for the 10-day trial period they had undertaken. Daniel, who was the leader of the group, was rewarded with Ruach HaKodesh. This is how he was able to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Well, then. So, if you ever wondered how Daniel and his friends got this incredible, this incredible wisdom um, to the point of, of having the Ruach HaKodesh, it's simply from, you know, being in a place where they felt pressure to, to eat non-kosher food. And they said, hey, you know what? I, I would rather suffer on, you know, beans and vegetables and water for the rest of my days than, you know, than to eat anything that is even questionable of its kashrut level. Wow. So, you know, it's, just, it, it's simple obedience during times of, of persecution that allow us to be elevated to such a high level. Well, then. 
Good. So, Good night. You know, there's there's all this wonderful lessons within that. Um, Hashem goes on talking about how he's poured out his anger upon upon the Jewish people because of the blood which they shed upon the land and for the idols which they defiled it. And mentions these these three cardinal sins of bloodshed, idolatry, and immorality. All three are punishable with exile. Wow. And so this verse that we have in 3618 actually mentions two of these three cardinal sins. And, you know, we we would be mistaken in assuming that all B'nai Israel are guilty of these great transgressions. But Hashem's very strict with his chosen nation. And so you had a lot of these sporadic cases of murder and immorality, which he held the entire nation responsible. The entire nation is responsible for different accounts of murder. Yes. How about that? We have to understand, you know, it's like we mentioned with uh, Saul and the Parsha um, Zakor, that the righteous are held to um, higher standards. <clears throat> and oh, I have it. But um, it mentions that there's this one example. So if we got time for another story time, double up on the story time. Always got time for a story time. So story time. Come on again. <laughs> There was once a man employed as an apprentice to a carpenter. As time went by, he began desiring his master's wife. One day, his master required a loan. Why don't you send your wife for me for the money, the apprentice offered. The lady traveled to the home of her husband's employee, where the later detained her for three days. On the fourth day, the carpenter arrived. Where's my wife? He asked in a panic. How should I know? Retorted his apprentice. I dismissed her promptly, but I, not, but I did hear some rumors about her getting involved with some hooligans on the way. The hypocrite added, his master heart sank. What am I to do, he asked, wringing his hands in despair. I think it's highly advisable for you to divorce her, advised the crafty swindler. But her ketubah stipulates that I pay her a sizable sum of money in the event that I divorce her, and I simply do not have the necessary funds. The miserable carpenter uttered. That's no problem, replied the apprentice. I will lend the money to you. His master divorced his wife. Before long, the apprentice married her. When the time came to repay the loan, the master did not have enough money to pay his apprentice. You may repay me by becoming my servant, suggested the apprentice. Thus, the former master was compelled to work for his ex-apprentice. He poured drinks for the couple while his eyes brimmed with hot tears that fell into their cups. This one wicked act of adultery sealed God's decree of destruction of the Behemekdash and exile upon the entire nation. All the people were held responsible because of their failure to protest such an atrocity. Oh my goodness! So, this the level of depravity of of this individual, and it, it mentions that the exiles brought upon by their failure to protest. Wow! And so it's not even the sin; it's the fact that no one was willing to step up to to do yeah. anything about it. You know, there's this concept of you know I don't want people get you know too crazy with this idea but yeah um there's this concept that if you become aware of something uh that you know it's wrong you know maybe not everyone sees that problem the concept is if you become aware of a problem then 
you know, you, you were made aware of that problem for a reason. And that's part of your mission to help find a way to go about resolving that issue. Wow. You know, and so it, you know, also falls in lines of, of we really are our brother's keeper. Right. You know, and so we, you know, if someone's drilling a hole and we're all in the same boat, someone's drilling a hole in the boat, we're, the ship's going to sink. So we got to knock that you know, drill out the hand, take the drill out the hand, plug the hole, <laughs> throw, right? throw the guy in jail, <laughs> give him, you know, all that, all that good stuff. Well, I, I point that comment out because I just think it's so uh, poignant to the Testament that we as Israel are literally all members of one body. So, mm-hmm. We're going down because the hand of the body like offended somebody. And it's like we didn't stop the hand from doing that or we didn't stop the foot from stepping in a place it shouldn't have been. So, you know, just kind of that whole thing. You can't just say, oh, I didn't punch anyone. They just ran into my fist. It's just like, no, you punched <laughs> that person kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. I love that you use the analogy of, you know, the hand when the hand did that. You know, right. Because if we truly see ourselves all as one body, then how can we truly be be angry with our brother? Mm. You know, you ever think of, of if you have a headache, you don't start yelling at your, your brain. You know, if you have if your, your, your hand has a cut on it, you don't start you don't cut off the hand Ooh. and you don't you don't chew it out. You know, you bind, you bind it up. You take care of it. Wow. You know, you don't start saying, hey, why can't you be like all the other, you know, I don't know, maybe maybe some people do, but, mm. <laughs> you know, why, why can't you be like the rest of my body, you know? Mm. If, if, if one part of the body is in pain, it's in suffering, then the whole part of the body is suffering. And so if we truly see ourselves as as one body, as the body of Mashiach or in any, any kind of concept of, of unity, then we need to understand that that we're all we're all tied together, and not only do we have to take care of the situations where the person's you know to use the metaphor of drilling the hole in the boat, but we also have to approach with the mindset of this person's not foreign to me, this person's not separate to me. He is an extension of myself. Yep. And so, you know, we need to handle that uh, um, appropriately and with a spirit of, of humility. But, you know, it, it mentions actually in, um, in verse 20, it says, Vayavo, when, and when he came. And so it's actually used in the singular just to kind of support this idea of it wasn't just this national sin, so to speak. It was uh, like individual sin. You know, it does, not, it does not mean to say that the people as a whole profane the name of God, but that individuals did so. So that's why it terms in verse 20, it says, Vayavo. So may I just say one thing real quick? Yes. Transitioning. Um, this is a really cool opportunity that we get to see as being members of of Yisrael that we truly don't respond or treat each other like the world treats one another. You know, so Mm -hmm. many times that if someone is offensive to us, then we're just like, no, done with you. Like, forget it. But you know, uh, th- that's how the world would react, you know, but with us, we can't afford to do that. And we're not called to do that. We're actually called to do exactly what you just said, to bind it up and take care of it, you know, treat it with respect, come from a place of humility, because we have to understand 
that what if that was us and times that we're offensive sometimes we don't even know we're offending someone and it's like how would we want to be treated you know obviously this is Mashiach saying you fulfill the whole Torah when you treat other people the way you desire to be treated so I just thought that was really neat that what what is being elucidated just from this these few verses is how we are called to treat each other on a higher standard than the world would treat one another. Yes. I love that. And this high concept of if you are to go about rebuke, you know, like how, what, what approach will you use? You know, how would you like to be approached? (laughs) You know? Wow. So it's just, it's, it's one of those things, like said, like, like we have to change our mindset and it's really hinted in this, uh, this, this Parsha, the title of the, the Haftor Parsha itself is Parsha Para. Par, and you, you break down that word, you have Par, and then you have Hey, Hashem, Par, par Hashem. Mm. You have the heifer of Hashem. Yes. And, and who is this? There's, there's probably my favorite Midrash, or at least one of my favorite Midrash of all time, uh, Peskita Rabbatai 36. It mentions this it mentions Mashiach in reference to uh, a calf. Wow. It says, you know, when he's about to take on the sins, he has this opportunity to take on uh, suffering for the sins of the pretty much the entire world. And and then some. It mentions this. It says, um, Come on, source it out, bro. The Holy One, blessed be he, will tell him in detail what will befall him. There are souls that have been put away under the, under the, I'm sorry, under, under my throne. And it is their sins which will bend thee down under a yoke of iron and make you like a calf whose eyes grow dim with suffering. And will choke your spirit as with a yoke. Because of the sins of the soul, your tongue will cleave to the roof of their mouth. Are you willing to endure such things? And he answers this astounding yes for for these people and then some. And, you know, it's very, very powerful, moving midrash. But, you know, you kind of think about who is this, this par Hashem. And I think you could take it back to this, this midrash of, of the one who's willing to take on these sufferings for everyone else. Wow. And you think about that in, in aspects to the, the, the concept of, you know, uh, the body and, and, and suffering for your brother and suffering is not only just, you know, having a cold or having a, a, a illness or anything like that, or, you know, suffering, spiritual affliction, emotional affliction. Sometimes it's, it's restraining yourself, restraining your own desires and how you would like to react, you know, instead of just saying whatever you want to say, or, or just going off an angry rampage or, you know, um, any of these these negative avenues it's it's with restraining all that restraining whatever desire that is and approaching them in a way that that they need to be approached you know we have uh parsha shmini you have nadav and avihu and there, there's this concept that they approached god in a way that they desired to but not in a way that god desired to be approached and you know there is you know, their life was taken because of that. Wow. And so, you know, there, there's a lot of, 
rewiring of our minds that we have to do. You know, it, it mentions also, you know, with our mind, really be transformed by the renewal. Yeah. You know, he he got it from somewhere. No, (laughs) (laughs) we just found the source for that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, it, it mentions this in, um, you know, 3622 says, therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, I do not do this thing for your sake of house of Israel, but for my holy name that you have profaned among the nations where you came. And so, uh, you know, it, you know, we have this concept that the Israel is so strongly bound up with the name of God that there can be no separation between them. Kind of like we talked about with the, the body, right? You know, yes. they're all one body. Right, but this kind of thing that that may bug people when you read this, and it's this idea. He's like, "I didn't do it for you. I did it for my name." You know, it kind of kind of sounds selfless, uh, selfish. Excuse me. But if you really look into this, you know, have this this concept of of what is what is God's name. You know, is it is it UK Vavke? Is it Elokai? Is it the Shin Dalad Yud? You know, is it one of the three seventy two letters? What is his name, really? His, his name is the way he manifests himself in the world so that we can have a connection point to him. And so this is really what it means. You talk about the name of God. And so it's not, it's not, he's above all this self glory. Like he's, he's so above this whole idea of glory and this whole idea of it's for me. You know, he's above all of that. His, his name that he gives us is only, like I said, so I have a connection to him. And so you have this idea that the sanctification of, of the name of God in the world is actually necessary because of the connection point for the good existence of the world, for the orders in it, for the relationships, and really for the overall substance of, of the whole world. And so this is why, this is why you have the most high concern for his name in the world. It's not really concerned for its own sake. It's it's a concern that of of how he will be able to bless the world and bless bless the nations, bless the Jewish people. You know, this concept of, you know, Hashem is not the sun, you know, but he is like the sun and that, you know, he just constantly shines. And we have the opportunity to either um, uh, go outside and, and bask in his glory. And, or we have opportunity, we have, we have the choice, I should say, to shut the blinds wow. and negate the blessings. And so this is, this is why he's, he ends up redeeming Israel because we're, we're so bound up in him. The Jewish nation is so bound up in Hashem that like, if, if, if they are in a state of despair, then part of the way he connects to the world is being shut off and the blessings don't flow into the entire world. You know, there's, there's a, another reason mentions this in, in 36, 21 talking about, I was concerned for my holy name, which the children of Israel profane among the nations where they came. It mentions this word, um, himla. And this is this term mainly appears within Tanakh as relating to human beings, like wow. to signify either like attitude of gentleness and sensitive compassion. But here it's mentioned in connection with God's name. And so why why is this? Why is this this whole concept of treating our fellow 
right connected with Hashem. Hashem you know, manifesting as a man? No, I'm not, I'm not really, you know, touching on that. Well, but, I'm just saying as far as this is a human term being attached to the name of Hashem, which eventually became a man, as far as taking on flesh. Yeah, <clears throat> I guess you could, there's, there's a, there's a, there's a slight allusion to that. You know, you could also say, um, what, uh, Mashiach says when he says, if, if you, how can you say love, love God who you have not seen when you can't love your brother who you have seen? Good night. <laughs> you know, I didn't so mean this to is sidetrack you. I just thought that was interesting. That was a human. No, it's a right there. Love, love those concepts when we, when we get a touch on for sure. But yeah, I think there there could be a side allusion to that for sure. But you know, there's this um right here it mentions that uh Himla. when whenever we profane the name of God, it actually leads to less fear of him. Oh. And when there's no fear of God, all these norms of society they come crashing down. And all this restraint, when we talk about this whole idea of holiness is the idea of restraining oneself. All that restraint is, is, is just completely cut away. Okay. And so, you know, this idea of, of for his namesake, it's, it's all about, you know, Hashem wants to do good and do better for his creations. And so this is why he's coming out and, you know, this is in Parshapar, why he's coming to make this atone for us. Even though we don't deserve the atonement, you know, it, it's so that we may have the blessings that he desired for us. Wow. Al Shem Kochi. Amen. For the sake of his holy name. You know, and this whole concept is really is really quite a profound concept. And it mentions that, you know, the we talk about the, the desecration of God's name through Israel's exile. Actually, it actually leads to redemption. <laughs> and so we, we think about this and this really, you know, we talk about his idea of his name being how he manifests himself into the world. Like you talk about some, sometimes, you know, he's not, uh, he's not, his hand is not too short to actually manifest in human form. Right. You know, like like you you've pointed out, and you know you you take the concept of Mashiach suffering, and that being a part of redemption. Well, you know, like what, what you know, you talk about the person who really is teaching the people the way of God. This has always been associated with Mashiach, and so if you're desecrating Mashiach, if you're causing him to suffer, if you're persecuting him, the Sadiq, then you're causing the desecration of God's name. And this, this half Torah really goes into the concept of when you profane God's name and Israel, um, through Israel being in exile, through him being afflicted from the nations, it leads to redemption. And so when, when people say, you know, Yeshua can't be the Messiah because he didn't do this, this, and this. He didn't bring about world peace. He didn't bring uh, a system of government for Israel you know, we're not, we're not all there. We're not redeemed from the nations. This is really a, a narrow, a narrow mindset. Yep. Um, and not in the good way. 
Yeah, because right? we've talked about this whole concept of redemption being this process. You know, this is what um, the sages have said. The redemption is essentially redemption is a process. And you know, right here we have this this huge support for this whole concept of Mashiach's suffering actually leads to the redemption. It's all part of that process. I mean, it's not and, a microwave. It's not going to be instant. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, so we have that whole concept. That's that's what it is. You know, we read in the, the midrash, his suffering achieves atonement for. For Israel and the entire world. Well, now we know why wickedness is allowed to prevail, so to speak, uh, in our current day and time, where it seems like, uh, as the message put, uh, is God out to lunch kind of thing? Because why are all these wicked people in charge and ruling things? And then it's just like, oh, well, remember that one Talim that says, when the wicked flourish, it's only for them to have their end. So, you know, there's all that. It's all, it's all part of the process. You know, even things we, we definitely don't understand, you know, and uh, we kind of touch on one thing that's um, one thing we don't understand, the whole, the whole red heifer. And yeah. one way we can understand that <clears throat> to help bring about this redemption. But we'll touch on that in a second. All right. You know. Just kind of support this idea of Hashem taking on his suffering upon us. You know, again, in verse 20, you know, it mentions, you know, the word we said, vayavo. he is also on, on a deeper level. It can actually refer to the Almighty himself, right? And we just mentioned that a while ago, it mentioned that this refers to like a, the single individual who profaned God's name, who, who did sins, right? So you have kind of this allusion to what, like what it says in, in the letters of he who knew not sin became sin for our sake. Uh-oh. Right? Because Vayahu can refer to the individual who sinned and Vayahu can refer it on a deeper level to Hashem himself, who, as the Midrash says, um, who shares in our suffering. Well, so he, the Almighty himself if we must say so came to the nation together with his people for he shares their suffering <laughs> and you know the whole concept of god's shekinah is in exile with us that's right that's beautiful all right so <laughs> reload, 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 reload. Switch okay. gotta, gotta stock up. <laughs> it's interesting because uh, we mentioned this. This whole idea is mentioned in twenty four. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the lands and bring you to your land. And you have these three promises that's very, very similar. They they echo the words of redemption from Egypt. Man, come on now. Yeah. six hit it yes taking gathering and bringing Woo. and so these, these they're not redundant they're not for not you know each one actually referred to like this this process is going to take place and so taking taking this is referring to you know we're we're stuck in this exile we've actually adopted consciously or subconsciously the the, the habits and the cultures and the lifestyle of the nation mm. 
And so taking refers to the, the, the severing of the bond, which we're going to have to go through yes. in order to unbind us from these nations and how this is actually going to refer, require like this supernal hand, this hidden or revealed supernal hand that's going to take us from this. It's going to cut that, cut that cord, if you will. Amen. Speedily and soon in our days. Amen. Mentioned gathering. You know, this whole idea of, of the children of Israel will be, will be scattered. We're scattered throughout the nations. Um, some people who are Jews don't even know the Jews. Right. You know, some people want to serve Hashem, but, but don't really know how. They feel lost and confused. And so there's going to be this idea, you know, we're going to be gathered. This part of the process, we're going to be gathered. And um, it's going to have to be done essentially one by one. Wow. And then you have the last concept is bringing. And this is the idea that, that we won't come necessarily on our own because we'll be unable or unwilling to do so. And so there's going to be this special bringing that has to take place. Get you some. All right. So we jump down here to the one of the, the very interesting sections, the Parsha Para. And here it's this is actually part is talking about the purification process says i will sprinkle pure water upon you and you'll be purified from all your defilements i'll purify you from all your idols and so it mentions that this the the cleansing waters talks about the cleansing waters is a figurative borrowed from the description of the purifying process undertaken by a jew who has touched a dead body such a person is besprinkled with the water in which the ashes of the red heifer have been mixed. In the future, Shim will sprinkle upon us the cleansing waters of truth and understanding. Oh. Parts of every last vestige of sin. And, you know, it mentions this, this whole purifying waters. They only eradicate past sins, but they don't necessarily guarantee sinlessness in the future. And so there, it kind of leads into the next verse of the the new heart that's to be placed on us. We'll touch on that in a second. But first, you know, we talk about this whole idea of the red heifer. And, you know, it's it's interesting. And I might even talk about this whole idea of, of purity and impurity before we mention that. Yeah. And how Tahor, this idea of, of pure, purity, is actually a, a name, a, an essence, if you will, of Mashiach and his role. You know, it, it mentions that in the, uh, the second temple time, some of the, the pregnant women would actually give birth in a specifically designated place in Jerusalem that was protected from any possible contact with the dead. And so these children raised there were those who were allowed to handle the ashes of the red heifer and they're, they were called the, the pure man. And this was to be the one who actually made it possible for the temple to function. And so, you know, kind of stepping out side note, you talk about the whole um, miraculous birth. You know, these, these women gave, gave birth in a section where there is, there is no possibility of them to come into contact with death. And this pr produced a pure man, right? Right. And so you kind of think about that of, of why it was necessary to have what you would say a virgin birth or miraculous birth, because you still have the residue of Adam's sin 
you know? And so this is why all men, even if they're perfectly sinless, will, in, will die. They still have the, the stain of death in them. And so for someone to come in and purify us, they'd have to be someone who's outside of this. You could just use childbirth and the red heifer to talk about the virgin birth. Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Good night. So, you know, it, it mentions uh, Pesquita Rabatai as well that a, a man, Ish, who is clean, the horse, shall gather up Asaf, the ashes of the heifer. This is God about whom it is said, he will assemble Asaf, the outcast of Israel. Man is God, as it says, the Lord is Ish, as a man of war. God is pure, Tahor. You are of pure eyes than, of, than to behold evil. So you have this whole... The, this immaculate condition of that pure man, you know, Hashem has led to the, this amazing conclusion that this pure man who's, who's going to gather up these ashes is God. Wow. You know, you talk about this whole idea of Asaf, like the symboline, you have Ish, man, you know, the whore, purity. And so, mm. you know, you could actually relate this also to David, which is what the, the the midrash actually bases its, its conclusion on this idea of david it mentions his eyes he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking and so our, our sages have said in in tankuma that the the bright eye means good heartedness and pure qualities we should understand what they said that that pure this is david bright eyes means pure qualities you know, and so this whole this whole idea, you got to think of the, the whole name of David when mentions David. There's a connection to Mashiach. Also, the whole idea of, of David, you know, you just change the, the vowel pointers. You get the word for beloved. Dodi. As when Hashem says to Mashiach and his immersion, this is my beloved son who I'm well pleased. Man. And so further connection with the concept of the son of David. You know, the beloved son, if you rearrange that, those words. Ben David. <laughs> beloved son. Yes. And so you have this this whole idea that this this name, Tahor, relates to Mashiach. And it mentions that, you know, that, that he is, you are of pure eyes, that's taken from above, describes David's eyes. And so we have this one, one event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the clean, the pure and the unclean, from Kohelet 9.2. As it said, the pure, this is David, as it says, with bright eyes, Midrash Tankuma. Having identified David as this, this pure, it's only natural to reach the conclusion that this pure man must be Mashiach's son of David, who is called ruddy with bright eyes. Peskida Zutra Bashit 36. <laughs> And so you have this idea that, that pure means that Mashiach is the only one who meets the all the prerequisites to reinstate the worship of God in the temple. This is a place where no one enters unless the ashes of the red heifer are in place. And the Ramban has encoded in his in the Mishnah Torah that that nine red heifers were done until the temple was destroyed, and King Mashiach will make the tenth. Well, all right then. But yeah, yeah, hearing this and the, uh, you know, the sport, what you said earlier about, you know, Hashem being manifested in a man, that man being Mashiach, you have this half Torah, which comes and says, like, he will sprinkle us. Yes. And then 
You have the Midrash that also says he will gather up the ashes of the red heifer. And so you, you kind of think about Hashem being our purity, and not Hashem, but Mashiach, if you will, being our purity. So now to kind of sidetrack back to further this whole concept of the red heifer, because it mentions this whole idea of, of there's these two redemptions that could take place, one where we deserve it, one where we don't deserve it. Oh, come on. This is, man, come on. And... You know, so it's like, okay, well, if, if he does it all, what do I, what, what more do I need to do? <laughs> you know, and that's really the wrong mentality. And that's, that's why, even though you may be cleansed, if you, if you are cleansed, you know, we have, you know, we don't have the red heifer, so don't misquote me on that. But even let's say you are cleansed, there still has to be a new heart inside of you. Mm. And if you're of the mentality, okay, well, he died for my sins, so I can do whatever I want then there hasn't been a new heart and you're going to go back into an impure state. Oh, you just ruined it. You just so, said we got to what? Work out your salvation. Yeah. With right. <laughs> <laughs> so this whole, whole idea, you know, every, every mitzvah has this, the spiritual um, lesson that we can take from it. And the Balsham Tov takes this, uh, takes this uh, concept and applies it to the red heifer, his Talmudim start asking him, what's the lesson we could apply from the red heifer? And because we, we know that the person who sprinkles the ashes becomes impure and the one who receives the ashes becomes pure. And so it's, it's this very strange paradox. And so what he says is that the, the, the heifer actually alludes to this whole idea of pride. What? Yes. It, it alludes to this whole idea of pride and how pride can either be the absolute best thing or pride can be the absolute worst thing. Mm. You know, it can either distance you from God or bring him close to God. Say, whoa, 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 whoa. I've always heard, you know, several Midrashim say humility you know, is the only way God comes close to you. And I even remember y'all talking about the half Torah that. You know, arrogancy, God hates an arrogant person, and he, and he goes far away from them. So what's this whole idea of pride can bring you close to God? What is well, it's it? all in. What's that? I was just saying, what is it? Tell us. <laughs> so it's all in the timing. <laughs> it's in the timing. It's the same concept of, of, of the heifer, even though this is something that purifies the person who, who, who actually handled the ashes to purify everyone else, he becomes impure. And so it's this concept of, of the timing of a mitzvah. Goodness. And there's, there's so many times that our Yetzahara and the, the adversary can to come up to us and make us feel this defeated. You know, say whatever, we, we have bad thoughts, we've done a, a, a misdeed or a sin the day before, whatever it may be, use your own imagination or whatever you can relate to. Then we feel distance from God. And in this distance for God, we sometimes say, okay, well, how, how can I pray? How can I pray Shimona Ezra when I did this? How can I wrap the film when I did this? How can I, you know, do such and such a thing when I have just, you know, did this chalushim, when I've desecrated his name or, or when I've done this, this huge sin. And so it's in this moment when we're so far away from God, where this, we're in this state of impurity, 
that we need to have this heifer, this pride sprinkled upon us. Man. And we take that. We said, no, you know, as, as the sages teach Adam, why was Adam created alone? So that each person should say the world depends on me. It's from Sanhedrin 37a. The world was created for me when everyone's in, in this state of I'm too distant from God. What is my mitzvah worth? You know, we need to have this healthy pride. We need to be purified with this pride that says, hey, the world was created for me. What I do matters. What I do matters. I'm not expendable. And what I do matters. And so we have this pride and therefore we utilize this pride in order to do the mitzvah. And so this is, this is the whole illusion, but there's also, you know, this, this kind of uh, catch to it, if you will. And that's it. As, when you're doing the mitzvah and after you do the mitzvah, you have to be far away. You have to remove this pride. It's the, the pride that you feel, this ego that you feel is only to initiate you to do the mitzvah. But say, you know, say you're like, oh, wow, you know, no one's. No one's better me because I did this deed, whatever it is. Like, oh, no one's, no one's saying this prayer. No one did this thing for, no one gave this charity or no one, you know, whatever your imagination is. No one did this mitzvah. I'm so great. If you have, if you have that, that pride in the middle of your mitzvah, after your mitzvah, then it makes you impure again. Kind of like the one handling the heifer, the ashes, the red heifer makes them impure. And this whole idea, like we said, you know, the, the Israel became in the beginning of our half tour, Israel became a nida. Wow. You know, they, this whole idea of impurity, it distances you from a shim. And so it's just something for us to take in consideration. How can we be involved in this redemption? What can we do to purify ourselves? Yes, Mashiach is going to bring, sprinkle us with red heifers. And we're going to, you know, in, in the physical sense, we're going to get the temple. We're going to be able to enter, offer sacrifices. But what can we do up until that point to make sure that we are, our hearts are healthy on the inside? And that, that's to, to have the right timing of this, of the perfect pride. You know, Man. to initiate a mitzvah, but remove it as we're doing the mitzvah. Don't think of ourselves as, as higher than anyone else. You know, that and get you some drop right there. Wow. Bukhsham. But, you know, it also takes on, we, we just need to learn a lesson from our father. You know, <clears throat> because mm -hmm. he allowed, you know, you think about hit, the temple being destroyed. This is his home. This is, this is how he, he um, his name is glorified through the earth. You know, through through having the temple, having the dwelling place, but he allows that to be destroyed for our sakes. And so even if we're trying to do something good, the object is not necessarily to do the mitzvah. The object is to come close to a shim and to cleave to him. Right? That's right. And so, like, take for example, someone wants to be humble because they want to be um they want to be closer to God. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, it sounds like it'd be a good thing. <laughs> it sounds like it'd be a good thing, but is it the best thing? Hmm. So take, for example, you know, 
that uh, we, we talked about this, this before. One way to achieve humility is if others insult you, you, you take the insult, even though you could reply and hurt their feelings or insult them back. You hold your tongue and you take the insult. You know, this is the way to achieving humility. But that's a good way. But it's not the best way. See, we need to learn from um, of uh, Rachel, Rachel. You know, because you know, she didn't just stop at, you know, when, when she switched places with Leah so that her sister would not suffer humiliation. She didn't just stop there. She later used that moment to come before God and plea for uh, like atonement and redemption for her children. I see what you did there. Yes. And so whenever we, we come before this, when we're, whenever we face with these moments and we actually achieve that, we actually achieve that. Okay. Hey, someone insulted me. I had, I had this great comeback, you know, uh, uh, you know, kind of mentality of, of the world. I had this great comeback, but I held my tongue, you know, and you later come before that in that moment you're and you come before prayer in that moment, your prayer is so powerful and you can use that. Say, Hey, Shim, if I, a mortal man can hold my tongue, when someone's insulting me, then, then what more can you do for your people? Wow. And what do you do? You, 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 you end up covering your brother. You end up laying down your life for your brother. There's no greater love than that because you're, you're no longer just holding your tongue so that you could have humility so that you could come close to God. You're using that moment of your suffering to put you in a position where God is going to hear your prayers attentively, and then you can use whatever you say in order to, to bring about redemption, bring about atonement, bring about healing for all of Eretz Israel, and, and, and through that, the world, or Am Israel, people of Israel, and through that, the world. I guarantee you, if we all did that, we would speed up becoming a mashiach like real fast man you know this yeshua actually hinted at that this whole idea of, of restoring our hearts we have this the, this next verse it says i will give you a new heart and i'll put a new spirit into you i will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh inside and you know just so we can hit a, a apologetics point real quick you know the next verse mentions so that they will keep my laws you know so you know if you ever need to uh, combat um, the? I'm not going to say necessarily Christianity, but this mentality of the laws done away with, or we don't have to keep it, or we can reform the laws, you know, or make them more modern, you know, just say, hey, the whole purpose of changing our hearts was to keep his statutes. So, Yechazel 3627. Anyways, so it mentions this whole idea of of stone evan right yep and you kind of look at that word and what two words are hidden within evan this heart of stone of and ben of and ben father and son now how do you weather stone water water right there's another way to weather stone if you're not around water and that is through wind what, Matt, what is what is one word for wind in Hebrew? Ruach. Ruach. And if it's weathering something 
that is keeping you away from Hashem, if it's trying to bring you closer to Hashem, then it's, then it's a holy wind, right? That's right. And so in here you have, in this whole process, you look at how do you break apart stone through the Father and the Son, right? This is the stone breaking apart. You break apart Avin, you get Avin, the stone's breaking apart through what? The Ruach, the wind, which is first mentioned as hovering over the waters, which is another element. Water is another element that, that breaks down rock. And so this is why Mashiach has a Talmudim immersed in the name of singular. If you read the, the leash, um, it mentions one name, not the name of this, the name of this, the name of that, as in three gods, yeah. but one name and three aspects to the name. Of, Talking about Matthew 28, everybody. Yeah. On uh, deck. Av, Bin, and Ruach HaKodesh. And so why, why did he specifically use three things? That's a little, three aspects, even though it's one name. Why did he use three aspects? Well, you have the, the, the verse, a three-stranded core is not easily tied, but why these specifically, so it's his idea of permanency, but why these three specific things? Because it's hinting at the breakdown of our heart of stone, Right. Father and son, Avin, Avin Bin, is literally the breaking apart of a stone. And Ruach, the wind, which is also associated with the water, keep in mind they're mikfing them, they're immersing them in water. You know, this is, this is how the stone breaks down. And so he's, he's implying to his disciples, like, look, it's, it's not just about, you know, just dunking them and chunk them, you know. <laughs> it's, it's about... It's about renewing their hearts, changing their mentality. And you, you don't get that by saying, oh, because he did it, we don't have to do it. You get that by saying, because he did it, I want to do it because I want to walk in his footsteps. Wow. And that's, you know, that's a mentality that will, that will change your whole life, will change your whole lifestyle. And for the better. And you actually get to know who Mashiach is, you know? <laughs> so, and on top of that, you know, the Torah is called a stone, as it says, the tablets of stone, the Torah and the mitzvah. And so through the power of, of the, the Torah, it's possible for us to shatter the stones of the evil inclination. That's right. So, you know, there's that. All right. So we got our two minute warning. All right. Book Hashem. Well, anything you wanna you wanna say real quick? Man, there's a lot I want to say, but I I'd rather you clear your tabs, cause right now you are just mopping the floor and like blowing up stuff at the same time, and I'm just kind of like ducking and hiding for cover right now. Rukshem, man, Rukshem. No. <laughs> all, all I do is read, you know, and just let the. <laughs> So. Well, all I got to say is it's like you're on a mission. Like you got mask on and like ain't playing around. <laughs> and so we got to be, you know. Yes, we do. It's time for a little bit of violence to, to happen. So so we'll kind of uh, hit hit through one one more idea and then sort of kind of go through the rest of, of this half tour real briefly. All right. So. It mentions this this whole idea of uh, in verse twenty seven. I'll, I'll my spirit I'll place within you. I'll act so you walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them. You know, and so 
It mentions that this additional supernal spirit will make it easier for man to choose the proper way. It will guide him on his way. It will move man to proper and lofty actions. And this whole idea of I will act, you know, it's on, on, on the face of it, it's not necessarily meant that the freedom of choice will be eliminated. So that's not really the thing that's talking about here. It's saying that the choices will be made easier, kind of like Adam before the sin. You know, choices are going to be made easier. We're not going to have this internal Yetzirah to deal with. All the forces will be external like it was in, in the Garden of Eden. But it says that, you know, like uh, the choices are going to be made easier. So right ideas will come more easy. And whoever learns is also going to do them. So if, you, if you're if learning, you're going to actually do it. It's not going to be this uh, cognitive cognitive dissonance, if you will. And so there's actually going to be no place for error or lack of initiative. And so whoever does not learn will still be prone to error. And whoever does learn, you know, will, will be established in his actions. And so the choice is really going to be between studying and not studying. So we need to get in the, in the habit of it, of studying Torah and making it a, a you know, a daily routine, setting our hours as, as quickly as possible. Amen. And so man's going to be in, will be, will possess this well-developed will in the future where the powers of the soul will be enhanced. And I don't really have time to go into all that, but that's an amazing concept. Oh, um, please save those notes. I want to see them. <laughs> okay. Okay. But For real, like I will call the police if you don't. This is the whole, the whole concept of <laughs> Uh, the human the human structure is you know after the after the sin of ganadin it's like we we our our body has become corrupted we have the 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 you know the sin of adam the seed of the serpent within us yep and so really you ha you have this this wonderful piece of god inside of you you know this neshama that really it should purify the entire body but because the body is corrupted, you know, the soul is limited. The soul is literally trapped inside the body. And this is actually why we have to go through the process of, of death. You know, this actually restores, it restores, it actually atones this, this whole sin and allows the body. This is where Mashiach comes. He raises us up and our body restored into a, a, a purified state back to where it was before the sin. And so when our neshama comes back down into our body, it's actually able to purify our whole body to the point where it was always meant to. Man. And so this is what, you know, Ramkal brings down in, in the Derek Hashem and this whole concept. And so to the extent that you toil in this world, to the extent that you perfect yourself in this world, this is also going to be, um, this concept will be read in Meshlat Yashirim. To the extent that, that you cleanse yourself, that you restrain from things evil, that you pursue things that are good, that you're devoted in, in the, the, the study of, of Torah, Halacha, Musar, to the extent that you toil is to the, the extent that you will be elevated in the next world. And that's not necessarily elevated in the sense of, you know, being better than someone, but, you know, even though that, that you will be in a higher position, the highest mentality to have is that you're going to be closer to a shim. So, you know, if you want to be in the, in the state of closeness to a shim, 
then you you need to do more toiling in this world and this time is the perfect time to do it there's there's not been a time in history that i'd say is is a more like 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 the darkness is so thick the klipa is so thick you know there's so much temptation there's so much evil in the world that the 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 little mitzvahs you do go a long way so imagine if you strive really really hard and you're you're really toiling and toil you're really trying to apply what you learn and you're resisting your own evil inclination every second you get you're taking these moments to not only strive for these good madot like humility but you take that action like we talked about earlier and you bring it for god to to cover your brother and you just imagine the light that you're creating that you're developing you imagine the closeness that you're going to come before a shin and the the, the alam haba. It's going to be incredible. And so, just if you if you need a motivator to to just really get with it and and pump up your 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 Torah game, if you will, then right. like do all you can, give it everything you got. Because that's going to determine how close you are to Hashem, the, the, the amount of, of his, like, the pleasures and, and the world to come are just indescribable. No amount of words could come close to it. But if, essentially, if you want to be close to Hashem, like, imagine the, the, the greatest pleasures you ever had in your entire life all accumulated, and it's, it's nothing compared to that. That's a fraction of what's to come. But, you know, if you want to be close to Hashem, really close to him then strive give it everything you've got in this world like you said it's, it's temporary the exile is not only in the physical sense the exile is in the spiritual sense our, our neshama that's that's so far away from where it belongs in the light of god in the light of shekinah all right then oh. i feel like saying what do we know what do we know after all that but we got to do practical takeaways. That's so true. Okay. So, yes, we are way over time, and that is totally fine. Uh, <laughs> I was like, man, I was, I was, I was sitting down, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to make this a 40-minute half tour. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Well, I want to lovingly let you know, Habibi, that you beautifully failed at that. <laughs> I, I blame you. Not <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'll take the blame for that. No, to blame. I'll take it. No, it's fine. <laughs> Put it on me. Yeah. No, but yeah. Thank you for allowing me to, to go into some of those things and get on a soapbox. Well, I've been uh, on a proverbial soapbox uh, since like last week. So, you know, I kind of know how that feels. And I just really want to encourage you that you know, uh, please just let it flow. And, uh, because I know where you're, where you're coming from with everything. And so like, we have to just really take advantage of every moment, you know, that we have, because who knows when Mashiach is going to show up and we want him to show up sooner than later. So we got to give it all we got. And so I'm grateful that, you know, you soapboxed it up today and the soap smells really good. So you know, prove your shame. Amen. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> only way to get clean, right? Right. So uh, if I could just lead out with the practical takeaway that I would like to share, I want to just go back to your your par hey drop, the para 
if you break the word up, the three letters, make it a two-one combo there. Um, that is the gematria of we know that hay is five, so we're counting that as a shem. So let's go to the pay in the race. That's 280. So that is the gematria of Be'etzim Hayom Hazeh in that very day or in this very day. Oh, and man. it's used as um, the connotation of Yom Kippur, the circumcision of Abraham. This is coming from Pirkei to Rebbe Eliezer. Ain't got time to get into all of it, but I want to also connect it to the fact that today we're supposed to hear the voice of Mashiach and bring it back to the Haftarah portion that we're supposed to have a new inclination within us because we're sprinkled with pure waters, which is also the passage from uh, the letter to the Hebrews, uh, chapter 10, verse 22, that we've been sprinkled with the blood of Mashiach. And specifically, it says that this is supposed to be our amuna of our heart being completed. So we're supposed to have full assurance and bitakon, and our hearts are sprinkled clean. And so remember, that's all the evan, you know, the heart, the ruach, the evan, the father, the son, that whole thing. So all of this is like a circumcision, mikvah, sprinkling, purification, passing from death into life. And literally the rest of uh, the the Hebrews 10.22 says Mashiach will sprinkle from all evil conscience and our bodies will be plunged into a Tavila Mikvah, okay, which is an immersion in the Mikvah, immersion in the water. So it's a very violent and forceful uh, cleansing that we once we say yes Hashem we want to pursue you yes Hashem in this very day yes I will be exactly like Abraham and take the knife and do I don't even know what this is called because you have to know that Abraham did not know what circumcision was (laughs) when he was called to do it obviously um, circumcision has been around because it's a part of Torah and Abraham learned Torah from Noah and all that but you know, um, as far as the practicality go, you can really see that as far as do this circumcision thing, it's just kind of like it's unprecedented for him, even though he may have learned about it. Obviously, he I would say he did learn about it. But anyway, he's just going to grab a hold of something, pun intended, you know, and do it right now. And it's like this is a fast day. You know, you chose the fast day kind of thing. This is a I'm taking it by force. I'm really scared right now, but I'm really happy right now. I'm really excited right now. I'm freaking out like it's all right there. So my practical takeaway is that that as we're heading into Shabbat Para, like this is like, I don't even know what this is because like dynamite and rockets and like ballistics, you know, like put that all together and then some like that's really what I'm just kind of seeing. It's just like, I I don't know how the skin is going to stay on my body after going through this explosion (laughs) kind of thing. So anyway, um, I just thought that was uh, really amazing that, you know, Haftarah Para, that's what it's all about. Like, just go for it, hit it, take it by force, be cleansed, be purified, use the understanding and the concept of the sprinkling of the ashes of the red heifer to initiate yourself into divine service and then flatten yourself immediately like matzah and partake of the kingdom of Hashem and bring it down and blow up the world 
with Torah, Avoda, Chesed. Man, that was that was the Jewish calendar in a nutshell that you were talking about. <laughs> I love it. Man, man. You, you want to do uh, the next special half Torah? No. I some matzah. No. Man. No, but Brookshin, man, there's, there's so many things I wanted to, you know, want to touch on with, with what you said because that's amazing. But, you know, I'll just mention one one quick one kick plug for the, the oral Torah. If anyone wants a little thing to put in their, their pocket, apologetic wise, um, is that, you know, the, the Torah, the written Torah actually never says what, what part of you is supposed to go undergo circumcision <laughs> or, you know, what to do if, you know, like there's certain conditions that the baby is, you know, it doesn't, doesn't say, you know, how, how much, so, so you, you really need the oral Torah in order to do anything in order to fulfill the Torah. And so that's, that's something you keep in the back pocket. It says, where in the Torah does it say where to, where to circumcise, you know, Good night. but there's one of those things, I guess. Okay. I don't, I don't think, uh, any, any rooters with intelligence are gonna, you know, try to to argue that oral Torah, <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah. What's up, not? <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. So moving on, moving on. <clears throat> yes, yes, yes. So, uh, well, I'm going to plug in my practical takeaway with the ending verse um, of, of this half Torah. There's a prophecy. This is promise for, to multiply us. And, you know, just with the concept of how, how do we get these blessings multiplied within our life, within this world and the next world? You know, and it mentions, you know, 30, 37, 38, so says Hashem Elohim, furthermore, I will respond to the prayer of the house of Israel and do this for them. I will multiply them with people as sheep, as the sheep of the sacrifices, the sheep brought to Yushalem on their Yamim Tovim, so they will, so that the so will the desolated cities be filled with flocks of men, and they will know that I am a shin. You know, a uh, little, little side note, you know, th there, there's a prophecy, you know, that's already been fulfilled. You know, Israel, you know, has been restored. Things are growing there when it was desolate. So just a little side note, that's also in this half Torah. But it mentions the people as sheep in different ways that we would once become holy it mentions that we will be bountiful like the like the amount of sheep there was on the yom toves and it also mentions this interesting point a third point why we're likened to sheep in this half torah is that the jews the jewish people we are called adam's sheep an allusion to the first man really yes and so you think about this we, we're literally the flock of adam so when you think about it referring to Yeshua and talking about the letters here as the second Adam. Yeah. You know, and then Yeshua talking to Kepha, you know, and feed my sheep. <laughs> so we are Adam's sheep. And so I just want to kind of point, I'm not sure if you have any midrash or anything for the, the, the concept of the second Adam, but uh, you know, there's, there's one that's actually hidden within the name Adam himself, because you have the Aleph, the, the Dalit and the Mim that make up Adam. And Chazal say this is an acronym for the Aleph for Adam, the Dalit for David, and the Mim for 
Mashiach. Okay. So you have this concept that, that, um, that is brought down that Adam actually gave 70 years of his life to David, right? Right. So you, you take that in the process of these letters, the Aleph Adam to the Dalit David, you know, the life of Adam stops right there at the Dalit, the middle section of his name, because that's all of his thousand years. So what's next after the Dalit? It's the Mim. It's Mashiach. And so David, in a sense, dies with David. So Adam, in a sense, dies with David because those are the years he gave to him. And at the Mim, he's resurrected. He's reborn as the second Adam in Mashiach, the Mim of his name. Get you some. And so this is this is kind of proof of uh, kind of a support for the whole concept of the second Adam being in reference to Mashiach or Yeshua. And it's kind of interesting for a practical takeaway. You take this word, you know, how do you get into this process of bringing about Mashiach? How do you get into this process of, of, of rebirth of your own self in order to bring about Mashiach? And you got uh, the last two letters of the name of Adam are what? Blood, Dom. Dalit men, blood. And what is in the blood according to the Torah? The life. The life, the chai. And what is life, Amet? <laughs> Truth, righteousness, shalom, peace. Yes. I mean, where are we going? <laughs> the Torah, right? Right. The Torah is, it's, it's, it says in, in Devrin, the Torah, this is, it's not an empty thing for you. It's your very life. The Torah is life. And so literally, if we want to bring about a rebirth in ourselves, if we want to bring about um, of the coming of Mashiach and actually earn it, then instead of just being just given to us when we don't deserve it, actually earning it, then we literally need our, our very lifestyles. The blood flowing through our veins needs to be filled with Torah. You know, that it's not just it's not just something that that we do. It needs to be part of our very system, part of the way we think, part of the way we, we act, we talk. That's on the Shema. You know, it's not it's not metaphorical when it says when you go, when you walk on the way, talk about it when you walk on the way, when you sit down, when you go to sleep, when you rise up. It's not metaphorical. It's, it's meant to be, you know, our, our a constant lifestyle. And so if we want to bring about Mashiach, if we want to bring about a rebirth in ourselves, a renewal in ourselves, we need to make that not just toward not something we do, but something we are and something we're becoming. That's right. So, well, I'm going to have to put you in timeout now so we can say a bracha because there's <laughs> no more stuff left for you to break. So, uh, you know, I, I just... I, I just love the concept. I just want to just thank you for doing these these before and after blessings because I really love the, the whole concept of them. You know, because like you said, like you said something that just made me think of this, which is why I had to interrupt you. I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. <laughs> uh, when there's nothing more to say, what can you do besides bless Hashem? Oh. You know, hmm. and why this is why we begin and end every process of of doing a mitzvah, of elevating these sparks to Hashem with a before and after blessing. We say, please, may I, you know, in regards to eating, please may I have it. And then we, we eat 
right? For the sake of, of, of fulfilling Torah and whatever that may be. And then afterwards, we don't grow around like ungrateful children. We say after blessing, we say, thank you. You know, and, and what, what else can we do? You know, when, when we, like you said, what else can we do? What else can we say besides just bless Hashem? And so may, may our good deeds and our Torah be encapsulated with, with thanksgiving and, and blessing for Hashem's name. Amen. Fulfilling the will of Hashem, we are doing the will of God for our lives. Amen. Well, Hashem, truly bless you and bring Mashiach soon in our days, please. Amen. 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 What do we know? Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Zur Ko HaOlamim Zadik Beko HaDorot HaEl HaNeeman HaOmer VeOse HaMdaber Um Kayam Shekol Davarav Emet Bazedek Neeman Atahu Adonai Eloheinu VeNeemanim Devareka VeDavar Echad Midvareka akor lo yashuv rekam ki el melek neeman verakaman ata baruch ata adonai ha el ha neeman bekol devarav biskut mashiach yeshua amen amen may this podcast be to the refuah shlema of Esther bat Sarah may she be healed and brought to fullness of health amen amen. All right, well, Shavua Tov, and everyone have an amazing Shabbat Para, and we will look forward to our time with you soon. This is Shomer and Chasis saying Shalom. Shalom.